SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsip. It is Wednesday. It's the day before, or two days before, the big news on the U.S. Men's National Team's World Cup qualifying roster for September. So I, I thought about waiting till Thursday, waiting till that for that to drop, but we'll have another episode on Friday. There's enough to get into, enough to dig into now at this point. We didn't have a show on Monday or Tuesday. Apologies for that. A lot going on over here. SBI HQ. Ivis Jr. is heading to college this weekend. So it's his last week before he goes away. And needless to say, I'm trying to spend as much time with him as possible. Uh, But obviously the soccer world never stops spinning. So we have tons to talk about. We have Americans abroad. A lot of Americans abroad news. We have some men's national team talk. And of course, MLS. And uh, MLS is enjoying All-Star Week in Los Angeles. MLS and Liga Mekis, best buds. Did the All-Star Skills competition on Tuesday. I got to admit, I didn't pay a ton of attention to it. Although, apparently, Liga Mekis won uh, by one of their players hitting the crossbar from midfield. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. All-Star game Wednesday night. Tonight. Should be fun. And again, you don't want to put too much uh, into whatever happens in that game. It's a fun thing. It's an exhibition. I'm sure whoever wins, their fans are going to be like, see, we have the best players. I get it. That's how it is. There's that competitiveness. We're going to talk about that, by the way. Liga Mekis and MLS. A lot of talk. A lot of talk about the leagues and combining the leagues and how allegedly fans are into that idea. I don't know who these fans are. If you're one of those fans, let me know. I I personally, I I think I've gone on the record enough times now saying I'm not a fan of it. We'll get into that later. That's a whole other. I don't want to start off with that. But we've got that. And uh, obviously, we have to start off with Americans abroad. And the first topic on the menu is Weston McKinney. U.S. men's national team midfielder. His club future is in doubt right now because Juventus apparently doesn't want him anymore. Apparently, you know, Massimiliano Allegri, who's come in and taken over for Andrea Pirlo, does not see McKinney in his plans. And you know what? That can happen. Whenever you have a coaching change, a managerial change, you can have a situation where a new manager comes in. And he's like, you know what? I don't like this guy. This guy doesn't fit into my plans. He doesn't fit in the way I want to play. And for those who don't remember, Andrea Pirlo is the one who brought Weston McKinney to Juventus. He's the one who said, you know what? This American can play for me. He can do a job for me. And you saw last season the way that Pirlo used McKinney, that he believed in McKinney, that he saw him bringing something to the table, bringing an ingredient to the table, ingredients to the table that could help Juventus win. And McKinney had a good first season. There's no doubt about it. He won a couple of trophies. He had that unforgettable goal against Barcelona. He, he had a lot of great moments and he had a very good first season. Good enough that Juventus exercised the purchase option. I know some people will say, well, why the heck did they exercise the purchase option if they really weren't planning to keep him? Well, that's pretty much just business. Because if you know you have a purchase option for $25 million or 20 to $25 million, whatever whatever that final price was from Schalke, and you know that you could turn around and sell that player for $30, $35 million, you do it. And that's what they did. And I'm sure they were also hoping, hey, maybe Allegri will actually like McKinney. And according to reports out of Italy, not the case. Allegri has his plans for his midfield. Obviously, Locatelli 
has signed with Juventus. And, you know, different kind of player than McKinney, but still. Juventus is not short on midfield options. You still have, you still have Aaron Ramsey around. You have Rabio. Obviously, Rabio was a player who he, he and McKinney, you know, battled for minutes. And if Allegri likes Rabio better, then there you go. Club like Juventus, you know, not that they're struggling for money, but you know what? They could use some money. I mean, the pandemic is hitting everyone differently. And except for the Premier League, most other leagues in Europe are belt tightening and, and there's not a lot of money going around. In case anyone's noticed, the transfer market's a lot different landscape now. England is where the money is. And that's why everyone links players to England. Because that's where the money is. And no, not to say every team in England has money, but there's just more money in England in the Premier League than anywhere else in the world. Except for obviously, you know, PSG, Real Madrid, you know, those exceptions to the rule. But in terms of league-wise, I mean, all you got to do is look at some of these leagues. Look at La Liga. You're not seeing a ton of money moving around there. Although, hey, credit to Atletico Madrid, they've had themselves a pretty good summer after winning the league. They added Rodrigo DePaul. Now that apparently, reportedly, they're going to add Matias Cunha, the Brazilian. So, I mean, pretty good business there for Diego Simeone. But Weston McKinney, what will he do now? He's been linked to mostly Premier League clubs, although Bayern has been mentioned, Bayern Munich. Bayern's an interesting one because think about this. Julian Nagelsmann is the new manager at Bayern. Julian Nagelsmann obviously managed Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig. And if you watch Tyler Adams with the men's national team, at much, you know, for the few times that, that Adams has, has been able to play for the U.S. national team, he will have also seen McKinney, and he probably has a good eye on McKinney. Although reports out of Germany have already shot down the McKinney to Bayern rumor. So where will Mes- where will Weston McKinney go? Where should he go? What we do know is that McKinney has always wanted to play in the Premier League. I mean, I would, I'm pretty sure that came up the first time I ever interviewed him, and that was like, I want to say three years ago, when he first broke through at Schalke, I had a chance to sit down with him and he had his dreams of, of playing in England. And, and I know some people said, well, why would he leave Juventus, a club like Juventus, to go play for a non-Champions League team in the Premier League? Well, basically, the Premier League is the biggest league in the world. The biggest platform, the biggest salaries, as we know. But also, what's the point of sitting on the bench at Juventus? If you know the manager doesn't want you, and you know you've got World Cup qualifying coming up, and it's a big year. The octagonal is this year, and, you know, obviously McKinney's considering his club future, and that's what matters, but you also have, he also has to be thinking about his national team commitments and his national team duty. The U.S. needs him to be sharp. They need him to be playing, especially in this World Cup qualifying cycle this next year, 14 matches. He's expected to be a part of all those matches. If you're Greg Berhalter, you want him to move ASAP. And there's already been some teams linked. You've had Tottenham, Aston Villa, Everton. Obviously, some of these teams, they have money. Aston Villa has all the Jack Grealish money. Well, not all of it. They've spent a a good chunk of it. But they have the money and they have the need. Tottenham's an interesting one. That one's already kind of been shut down because, you know, the initial rumors were that there could be a player swap there. Musa Soko. But that's already been shot down. That's already been, you know, reports. You're seeing a lot of conflicting reports. And basically, my and my impression of it is, and I've seen this, I've been doing this a long time, and one thing Juventus is good at, 
Juventus is good at spreading information, spreading, I don't want to say misinformation, but they know how to plant stories. And they know, and they obviously have lines in on certain international journalists, certain international reporters that they could feed stories to. And how true the stories are, how legitimate they are, you know, it's a question mark. I still remember the Brian Reynolds to Juventus story. And that one, and that it was such an obvious play by Juventus to try to float that story, to try to scare away other teams for Brian Reynolds. And that's the kind of thing a club, you know, Juventus does that. They've done it. They were caught doing it. Or not caught, but like anyone really paying attention can see that kind of stuff. And I feel like this is what's going on with McKinney. They want to sell McKinney. So they plan a few stories out there that McKinney's available. And then obviously, you know, you get the, there's a lot of, I don't want to say shady, but there's a lot of uh, creative journalism going on around the world, especially in Europe, especially in Europe. So obviously you get the English links immediately. Aston Villa has been linked to every player on the planet, seemingly, because they have money, because they, you know, they got a hundred million plus for Jack Grealish. People know they have money. People know they're trying to upgrade their team. So that's not a surprise. But it's just funny how this goes. So, you know, getting back to the point, Juventus wants to sell McKinney, but they can't come out and say, look, we want to get rid of him. So what do they do? They plant the stories. He's available. There's interest. There's interest from England. And, and all of a sudden you have this whole transfer rumor mill going on. And then, of course, eventually you get the conflicting reports that, oh, you know what? Juventus isn't uh, looking to sell him or McKinney's happy at Juventus. And it's all, you know, it's kind of covering yourself because if they don't sell McKinney, if they don't get the price they want for him, then they're going to have to deal with keeping him. But I think it's time for him to go. Personally, I think it's time for him to go, especially given the timing of this year and everything going on this year. Now, obviously, someone has to be willing to spend the asking price. And we're seeing 30, 35 million, 40 million, 30 to 40 million is, you know, in this market, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to find someone with that straight cash. We're not. It's one thing if you're talking player plus cash. And I know Bayern Munich, the, the initial reports about the Munich Bayern Munich link were player plus cash. And and plenty of teams have players that they'd like to throw in a deal. But Juventus is Juventus, you know, and you know, they're not necessarily a team that, that is going to be helped by by your scraps, by your, your the guy, you, you know, the players on your bench you don't want anymore. There's not a lot of teams who have that kind of talent on their bench that's going to help a Juventus. As much as Juventus is coming off of a disappointing year for them. But if I'm McKinney, yes, I want to go to the Premier League. And if it's not a Champions League team, which it won't be, it won't be one of the top four teams, but there's still value in that. There's still value in week in and week out playing in a, in a top league, in the top league, and being on that stage. So if he can go to an Everton, if he can go to Aston Villa, if he can go to a West Ham, any of those would be absolutely solid destinations. Would it be disappointing that he's not in Champions League? Of course. Especially given how many Americans will be in Champions League this year. But, you know, there's so much more to it. Champions League is one part of it, obviously. But then when you're talking about a full season, 38 games mean more than the the 38 games in league play mean more than, you know, a couple of group stage games. So we'll see. We'll see where you wind up. And obviously, if you're a U.S. fan, you're going to be paying a lot of attention to that because it matters because you need him to leave Juventus. And I know some people say, no, let him stay. Let him fight it out. Let him, you know, prove himself. We've seen Christian Pulisic do that. We've seen him in situations where it looked like, oh, you know, he's a lot of favor. Is he going to be stuck on the bench? And it's funny how I'm not seeing a lot of people out there saying, get Weston McKinney out of Juventus. I'm not seeing a lot of that yet. 
Yet when Christian Pulisic sat on the bench a couple of times when Thomas Tuchel arrived at Chelsea, everybody was like, get Christian Pulisic out of Chelsea today. Seem to remember that. So I think that's interesting how the, the difference in in the view with those two players. For me, McKinney should go. It's time for him to go. Now on to another American player who actually has made a club move and now is starting to reap, reap the rewards of the move. Josh Sargent earned his first start for Norwood City in a Carabao Cup match against Bournemouth. He scores two goals, registers an assist in a 6-0 blowout. And just a reminder, no, Cameron Carter-Vickers did not play for Bournemouth anymore. He was not. He's not on that team. He was no part of this. Bournemouth just got smashed by Norwich City. And Sargent looked good. Sargent did his part. Norwich City fans are loving it. They're loving what they're seeing from their new American striker. Starting to see some Norwich fans calling for Sargent to now get a chance to start. They play Leicester City this weekend. And it was a much-needed win for City, Norwich City and a much-needed performance from Josh Sargent, obviously. Especially with World Cup qualifying around the corner. Sargent's going to be your starting striker, most likely. Although Jordan Sibachu, or as I heard in the broadcast this week, Jordan Sebachu. I don't know if that's the pronunciation. I might go with that from now on. But you have Sebachu in the picture as a potential starter. So Josh Sargent having this game is huge. He starts, he goes to 90. I think he went to full 90. Two goals and an assist. Confidence building performance. And Josh Sargent has let it be known many a time that he's a big player. He's a confidence player. And most, you know, look, most players are confidence players, right? Especially strikers. You feed off that confidence. You feed off the goals and assists when you're playing well and you have a good game. It gives you that boost for the next one and the next one. And then the momentum carries. This is a momentum building performance. Even if he doesn't start against Leicester, and, you know, it's still, I'd still say it's a bit of a long shot. He starts against Leicester. Because right now, Norwood City has their front three. They have Pookie, Todd Cantwell, and Rashika. Sargent's former teammate at Bremen. But we'll see. We'll see if Norwood City, if they like what they saw, maybe they give Sargent that start in the Premier League. But one way or the other, he has this game, helps his confidence heading into the international break, heading into World Cup qualifying. That's huge. And I got to say, it's interesting to see some of the responses from some readers on SBI about Sargent, and it's amazing to me that this, to some people at least, it's become it, that Sargent is this player who doesn't score, this player who can't score, and it's like it's a little ridiculous for me. It's a little ridiculous for me. People need to start giving Sargent some respect because he is a much better player, and I feel like I've said this before, maybe recently. But he's a much better player than some people give him credit for being, and I think people are going to start to see that more and more, especially now he's in the Premier League, he's going to get his opportunities, and if he takes those opportunities. You know what? I think he can run with that. And I think he's going to be very big in World Cup qualifying. In these upcoming qualifiers, he is going to be big. And I think he, I see him having a good September window. I, I think Sargent gets a couple of goals at least in, in the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. I definitely see that. But you know what? Good performance for him. And, and it happened to come on the same day that Jordan Sabachu clinched his spot. In the Champions League, UEFA Champions League, young boys managed by a U.S. national, former U.S. national teamer, David Wagner, defeated Ferenc Varos in the Champions League playoff. And now Sibachu joins the list of Americans that are going to play in the Champions League group stage or that will be on rosters for the Champions League group stage. And that list is up to 11 now 
as of right now, that could change. You still have Chris Richards who could still make a move, and you still obviously have Weston McKinney who could still make a move. But as of right now, as of Wednesday morning, 11 Americans are, are, are on the way to being on uh, rosters for Champions League group stage. And the Champions League group stage draws at the end of this week, so we're going to find out pretty quickly who the American players will be playing against, which Americans could potentially cross paths. And uh, for those who don't remember, the record for most Americans to be on rosters for a Champions League group stage is 10. And that was set last season. The record before that was 6. And it's kind of crazy to think that in the span of two years, you could see the record doubled. Because Wednesday, we'll see the 12th American secure their play, American player secure their place in the group stage when Brendan Aronson and, and Red Bull Salzburg take on Christian Kappas and Bronby. I'm not sure about Kappas's availability for the second leg. He, uh, for those who, who who missed it or did, or forgot, he has he has he tested positive for COVID. I'm not sure he's cleared to play just yet. But if if Bronby finds a way to win, he's on his way to Champions League group stage. But Aronson and and Salzburg have the advantage thanks to Aronson and his 90th minute winner. But let's say Aronson wins as they're favored to win. You then have 12 Americans set to be on Champions League group stage rosters. And that's with Owen Otisoe's move to Club Rouge. Sebachu clinching his spot on Tuesday. Even though he missed the penalty, he didn't have... It wasn't the greatest performance from him. By the way, Henry Wingo from... uh, Fetting Varos scored a goal, although he did also give up a penalty, but still, he scored a goal in that game. People don't talk about Heron Wingo much. We talk about the, the unbelievable uh, selection of right backs. No one really talks about Heron Wingo. He's another right back. He's another right back, American right back playing in Europe and having success in Europe. So it's just a name to remember. But back to the point, there will be 12 Americans potentially. On Champions League rosters, and that's that's impressive. That's very impressive. And of course, it could end up still only being ten if Richards leaves Bayern, which is possible, and if McKinney leaves Juventus, which is likely. Now, moving on to U.S. Men's National Team talk and the the roster for the World Cup qualifying camp should come out later this week. Uh, well, this I'm recording this on Wednesday. The roster should come out Thursday. Could be pushed to Friday, but it will be out at the end of the week. And we'll finally find out what Burhalter decides and what he's thinking in terms of his roster. And there's some interesting decisions to make because obviously you want players who are in form. You want players who are match fit. You want players who are in a good rhythm, right? However, you have a handful of players who played big parts this summer, whether it was the Gold Cup, whether it's Nations League but who aren't necessarily playing right now. So so you kind of have to ask yourself, how many of these players is, is Berhalter going to bring in? And we know there's going to be an extended roster because of the, the three games in one window. Usually you're talking 22, 23-man roster. It's probably going to be closer to 26, 27, 28. And there are several players who were, especially in the Gold Cup, several Gold Cup players who haven't been playing since the Gold Cup, who you know returned to their clubs, or made moves, made transfer moves, or are, are expected to make moves, or could make moves, and for whatever reason or another, haven't played. Matthew Hoppy hasn't been playing. Gianluca Busio 
completes his transfer to Venezia, hasn't played yet. Reggie Cannon returns to Boavista after a full summer of both uh, Nations League and Gold Cup. Hasn't played. So what does Berhalter do? Does he bring them in and have them you know, take part in the camp? And again, it's not an extended... We're not talking about a long camp. Players arrive on Monday. They go down to... El Salvador, what I believe on Wednesday, that, and then you're talking September second. September seconds will be here before you know it. They play on; it, it'll be on Thursday. So you arrive Monday. You're traveling to El Salvador on Wednesday. You're playing in El Salvador on Thursday. Not a lot of time. So it's not like a week of training, and you can help a player who hasn't been playing. Help them kind of, you know get any any type of match fitness. It's just not a thing. The, the you need players who are match fit. Can you have a few players in there who you, you know, you maybe bring along and then hope by the end of this window you can have and, and, and they can be and they can help you? Sure. But how many of those players will you bring? And if you add, my money is on, on Berhalter bringing in all three of those players that I mentioned. As much as in my my projections, I've done, you know, I've done a, a couple of roster projections. I actually didn't have Busio on. And I actually didn't have Reggie Cannon on the last one. But the more I think about it, I have a feeling Berhalter isn't going to want to punish players who played in the Gold Cup. And I think he's going to bring those players in. Not just like to, you know, to say face or not or not just to, to not make it seem like he's punishing these players, but also because he probably, you know, he believes in these players. He's, he's had these players recently. He had Gianluca Busio recently. Eric Williamson recently, and they did well. And Eric Williamson, by the way, just returned for for the Portland Timbers. He had been out, much like Kellen Acosta, who had been out, but returned to the starting lineup for the Rapids, this Colorado Rapids, this weekend. So you so you have to expect Acosta to be on the squad. Williamson could be on the squad. I think Busio could be on the squad. So do I see Burhalter bringing in players who haven't been playing? The answer is yes. Should he? That's the question. Because do you bring in a Busio who hasn't been playing, hasn't played in a month, over, you know, someone who's playing, someone who's playing regularly? Luca Delator, Julian Green. Julian Green is, is off to, you know, the Bundesliga, Bundesliga season has begun. He started both games. Grutherfirth having obviously a rough start to their Bundesliga uh, campaign, but Julian Green has is, is done his part. He's he's probably one of the few bright spots for that team. I've been projecting him on the squad. Will Berhalter bring him in? That's, that's a big question. So if he chooses players who haven't been playing over players who have, but who maybe haven't been in the picture or who haven't played for the U.S. in recent months, that's going to be an interesting one. That's going to be a one for me. That'll be one of the talking points all, all about the roster when the roster comes out. So we'll see. And speaking of another player who could may or may not be on the roster, Ricardo Pepe. And Ricardo Pepe is, is, is living his best life right now at the MLS All-Star game. He was involved in everything. He was involved in the skills challenge. He's doing interviews every single day. He's living it up. And credit to him. I mean, he's having a great year. He, he's earned it. But will he get called up for the World Cup qualifiers? Will Greg Berhalter call him up? And more importantly, will Pepe accept the call? 
And obviously, for those of you who listen regularly, I said last episode, it's time. Call up Ricardo Pepe. You have to do it. And what does he do? He goes out and scores a goal this past weekend. So he's, you know what? He's showing, I'm ready. I'm in good form. And mind you, he is the leading scorer among Americans in MLS. He's actually currently tied with CJ Sapong, CJ Sapong for most goals by an American in MLS. So, I mean, Pepe's walking the walk. He's playing well. So this isn't about cap tying him. This isn't about keeping him away from Mexico. This is about right now, Ricardo Pepe, given the injuries and given who's available, he is the best option you can call in as your third forward after Josh Sargent, after Jordan Sabachu. Ricardo Pepe's your guy. He should be in this camp. However, according to Pepe and according to reports you know, coming out of Los Angeles, he has not made up his mind. He's still torn. He's still in the middle. He's still not. It sounds like, at least he's saying, that he's not ready to make a decision yet. Now, obviously, Berhalter can call him in. Or can, you know, just like with Julian Araujo in the, in the Gold Cup, you can extend the invite. But if the player doesn't accept it, then what can you do? You're not gonna you're not gonna FedEx him a bag of cash and say, look, just do this already. No. You're not gonna have a marching band in front of his hotel begging him to join you. No, you ask him to come. You can have the conversations. But at the end of the day, if he's not ready, he's not ready. And would it be disappointing if he isn't part of this group? Absolutely. However, Burhalter has to make the call. He has to extend the invite. Because there's no excuse not to. And if Pepe says I'm not ready. Respect it, but let everybody know. Let, you know, Burhalter can come forward and say, listen, we invited Ricardo Pepe. We wanted him to be a part of this. But he's not ready to commit yet. And if anything, if I'm Greg Burhalter, I'm telling Pepe, listen, if you're not ready to commit, fine. But still come to camp. Still see what we're about. Still take part in this. Still see, you know, come in, see how you stack up. You can be a part of this even if you don't play. And maybe you bring him in. Maybe he, you know, gets a feel for things and maybe he feels at home and maybe then he says, you know what? I am ready to commit, but you bring him in for me. You bring him in. Even if he, if he's willing to come in without committing, you do it. I think personally that much you can do. I mean, need I remind everyone, David Ochoa joined the Mexican uh, national team in their, uh, ahead of their gold cup preparations in the summer. They brought him in. They didn't, you know, he wasn't part of the Gold Cup setup. He wasn't on the roster. They brought him in. They had him get a feel for things, and he loved it. He felt at home. David Ochoa felt at home, and that helped. According to Ochoa, that was a big part in his final decision to play for Mexico. The U.S. should and can, and they absolutely should do the same with Ricardo Pepe. And I know you'll say, wait a minute, this is World Cup qualifying. This is serious business. You don't want to, you know, mess around with things and have some player there who's not committed. I'm sorry, I'm not buying any of that. You want to show Ricardo Pepe that he means something to your program and that he has a future with your program. So bring him in, let him get a taste for things, and let him see if that's where he feels comfortable. And then he can make up his mind from there. He can decide, you know what, Mm, I'm not feeling it. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like home. Or he can be in that camp and say, you know what, this felt right. I've played with these guys. Let's not forget, he was part of the U-17 national team that had Giorena, that had Gianluca Busio. 
So some of his former teammates are likely to, you know, definitely Giorena, but, you know, you could also have Busio. So he's going to, there will be familiar faces there. So for me, Greg Berhalter, you call in Ricardo Pepe. And I think he will. I think he will at the very least extend the invite, at the very least offer him the option to come, even if he's not ready to play. And hopefully Pepe accepts it. And hopefully, you know, Pepe, hopefully he sees that opportunity to take part in this. And uh, obviously with everything that's gone on with David Ochoa and reportedly with Julian Araujo, although that is still not official, as far as I've seen, I have not seen Araujo come forward and say, I'm ready to play for Mexico. I am committed. I'm fi- I have filed my switch. There's been none of that. But let's say that's happening, as some people have reported. Obviously, if you're you, if you're Greg Berhalter, if you're U.S. soccer, or if you're a U.S. fan, you want to see one of these top Mexican-American prospects commit to the U.S., you don't want to all of a sudden see the pipeline completely diverted to the Mexican setup. You just don't. You don't want to lose the players you're developing. Any more players that, of the players that you're developing. Because the U.S. is U.S. developed David Ochoa. U.S. developed Julian Araujo. Helped develop them. Much more than Mexico did. Ever. And Pepe's a similar boat. Even though I know Pepe's been part of camps before with Mexico as a, as a, as a kid coming up. But he played at the U-17 World Cup with the United States. So... We'll see. I mean, I hope he gets, I hope he's part of it. I hope he gets brought in and hopefully he decides, you know what? I want to play for the United States because he is a super talented player born and raised in the U S he hopefully will play for the U S now. If Pepe does not accept the call, who do you call that? Who's your third striker? If you're going to have three strikers and I think they will have three strikers. So do you go with Matthew Hoppy as a striker? That's absolutely possible. Even though he hasn't been playing. That's the key. He has not been playing for Schalke since he came back. There's some questions there. Obviously, you know, if you're Schalke and you're, you know, working on potentially selling him, you're, you know, you don't want to risk him getting injured. But he hasn't been playing. But the good news is if you see him as a, if you want to give Hoppy a look as a striker in this camp, as, as opposed to as a wide forward, you don't need him to be your starting striker because you have Sergeant, you have Sabachu. So he could be your third forward or your third striker. Also, Nicholas Giacchini could be your third striker. And again, he's a player who uh, really impressed me in the limited time that he had in the Gold Cup. And he's someone who's shown he can embrace the role of the sub off the bench, the striker off the bench. So actually, I think for me, he's the be- he is actually probably the best fit of the players that you have available. And I know some people say, wait a minute, what about Hoppy? You know what? I get that. Sobachu has been playing more regularly. Is you know he hasn't been starting, but he's been getting on the field. He's been getting games, and I just feel like he's someone who will embrace that subs role more than Hoppy would. And as of right now, that's what it would be. It'd be the third striker. So is Hoppy ready to be a third striker, or would he rather you know you rather have him play out wide where he has a, cl- a better opportunity to get on the field more quickly, potentially even as a starter. If he can get, if his fitness is where it needs to be to be a starter. That's the question, because he hasn't been playing. And in other international news, the Premier League made some big waves this week by announcing that they their teams will not release players for, the, for international matches in September who are on the quote-unquote red list. And these are countries where the COVID numbers, the, you know, the infection rates are high. And there are some CONCACAF countries on this list, including Mexico, Panama, and Costa Rica. Two countries not on the list, 
El Salvador and Honduras, which is happens to be the two places the United States will be going this week, this month. So it's uh, it's obviously, you know, it's crushing news for some of these other teams. I mean, obviously, the you know, the countries that we mentioned, Panama, Costa Rica, potentially Mexico, if someone like, uh, you know, Raul Jimenez can't play. Then you have Jamaica. Jamaica has player on uh, Leon Bailey. They have, and obviously they have several of their the, the new players that are coming in from uh, that are based in England. So it definitely hurts Jamaica. So it's a you know it's interesting news and it's definitely it's disappointing and it's obviously bad news for some of these other countries. But guess what? If this continues on into October, it could also affect the U.S. It could affect it could affect the U.S. men's national team in October. They go to Panama. So in theory, you could actually have, if this does not change in the in the next six weeks, the U.S. could have to go to Panama without Christian Pulisic, without Josh Sargent, without Zach Steffen. And potentially without Weston McKinney. What if Weston McKinney makes the move to England? So it's definitely something to keep in mind. It's something to, to be concerned about. But at least for September, it actually works in the U.S.'s favor because the other, so many other teams in, in the octagonal will be affected, but the U S will not. And I, you know, and obviously U S fans are going to be like, yes, great. This is great. But you know what? From a sporting standpoint, it's obviously disappointing because you want everyone to, to have a kind of a level playing field. You don't want to, I mean, at least just for me, I, I just think it's, it's not really fair. Obviously the, the, those are the breaks and you deal with what you deal with, but, it's obviously unfortunate, especially for these countries that are going to lose some key players for September. Moving on to MLS, and obviously it's All-Star Week, so we won't have 38 midweek games on Wednesday, only one, and that's the All-Star game between the MLS All-Stars and Liga Mekis All-Stars. And it's all fun and games this week in Los Angeles. You had you had the skills competition on Tuesday, the skills challenge, and the, the Mexican All Stars defeated the the uh, MLS All Stars in the skills challenge. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, I didn't watch the skills challenge. I saw, I saw some of the highlights, including the winning midfield crossbar hit that won it, which I thought was pretty impressive. I also saw Ricardo Pepe hitting some nice volleys uh, in the finishing drill, whatever that you know game was. And again, Pepe, man, he just he's eating it up. Pepe is loving life right now. He's in a good place. But that All Star game is going to be interesting. No Carlos Vela for the MLS All Stars, obviously disappointing. But he did he did uh, come down with an injury in their in their most recent match. They lost to Vancouver, but still, there's still plenty of talent. MLS is uh, is going to have a squad that can definitely go toe to toe with this Mexican team. So. And good and, and kudos to whoever had the line and might, I don't know I think it might have been Alexi Lawless but who had who had the line after the skills challenge that the Mexicans won I think I think Alexi said something like uh, well, it was good to finally see a Mexican team win something in the U S for once this summer and yeah that's pretty funny but uh, we'll see we'll see who wins this matchup uh, between the Liga Mekis All Stars which they do have some Mexican national team players on there Rogelio Funes Mori Jesus Gallardo's on there as well. Um, so it should be a good game. And I, I'll be completely honest, I wish I was out there. I wish I could be out there. I could have been out there. But as I mentioned at the start of the show, Ivis Jr. heads to college this weekend. So I'm I'm not going anywhere this week. Pretty much I'm, uh, you know, counting down the days. So we're hanging out. We're binge watching 
uh, shows, Dexter, Better Call Saul. We're we're hitting the gym. You know, we're doing all the cool stuff this last week before he goes away. Um, but if not for that, I would be in L.A. because I think uh, it's obviously been a fun week just by everything that we're seeing coming coming out of L.A. And one of the storylines out of L.A., no surprise, is the the resurfacing of the rumor or the or the topic or the belief that Liga Mekis and MLS could join forces and combine into a super league. And I've gone on record. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. I think it's a terrible idea. And I honestly, generally just don't see it working. And I don't see it happening. Obviously, there are people who want it to happen. There are people who love the idea. And most of those people are the suits, the corporate types, the officials, the league, uh, you know, the league headquarters types. But Joe fan or Jose fan, do they like, do they love this idea? Are there really that many MLS fans who want a, a combined league? And are there, are there that many Liga Mekis fans who want that? I can't imagine that being the case. And I read something, I don't know, I think it was this morning, I, I forget the outlet, where someone wrote that there are, you know, for the most part, fans love the idea. And I'm like, really? Who? What fans are you talking to? Where are you reading this? Where are you hearing this? Because it's news to me. If most fans love this idea, I can't, I can't imagine that being true. Now, it's all well and good for MLS and Liga Mekis to have a great relationship and to put on all these kind of events, whether it's the, you know, the League's Cup, the Copa Campeones, the, you know, now this all-star game, you know, variation that we have uh, on, on Wednesday. This is all great. And you know what it's all about. It's all about cross-branding, cross-promotion sharing each other's fan bases, trying to get each other's fan bases to adopt the other. It's kind of a trick. You know, obviously you see the trade-off, the potentials for a trade-off there. But all that stuff is very different than actually combining two leagues. And I just think that's crazy. It's crazy talk. And I, and I, it's surprising me that I'm not seeing more people come out and say it's crazy talk. And I'm starting to wonder, am I crazy for thinking it's crazy? I don't know. I'm, I just know what I see. I just know what I think. And that's what I think. I think it's a crazy idea. I don't think it's, it would work. And I don't think it's worth even trying. You can have all these other things. You can have Leagues Cup. You can have Copa Campeones. You can have the All-Stars thing. You can have whatever you want other than combining the leagues. The analogy that came up, uh, we'll see if it fits or not as an analogy, but the analogy that that comes to mind to me is like if you have two families, you know, husband and wife and their kids, and they're like best buds, they're best friends, right? Like, you know, you you have that situation times where you have families that, you know, they get along really great. They want to hang out. They want to go on vacations together. They want to spend every weekend as a group just hanging out. And, And it's fun, right? Like you just click like that and you just have that connection with another family that you get along, your kids get along. I mean, that's great if you can find that and you can have that. But there's a fine line between hanging out all the time, going away all the time, vacationing and doing all that kind of stuff and living together and saying, you know what? Our families get along so great. We should just live together and be one family. That's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous idea. And I'm sure it had, maybe it even happens. I'm sure it happens. That kind of craziness. But doesn't mean it should. And that's why I equate this Liga Mekis MLS thing. It's all well and good to like vacation together. It's all well and good to do these MLS All-Stars things together. It's all well and good Leagues Cup, Interliga before that. All that stuff. 
it's all great to do all that. But you can't just turn into one family. It's not going to work. Shouldn't happen. Each league has its very distinct DNA. Keep it separate. And if I'm the only one saying it, I'll I'll be that just will be me. But I'm sorry. Apologies to all the suits that are already counting the dollars and are already drooling over the idea of a Super League. Didn't we just see a Super League get shot down in Europe? Like, what is with the Super League? Stop it already. Work on the league you have to make it as good a league as you can make it. So I don't know enough. I'll get I'll put the soapbox away. But you know what? I will say it's great to see working together to see Liga Mekis and MLS getting along. It's great because you know what? Obviously, there's always been that kind of contentious, the rivalry between Mexico and the U.S., especially as the U.S. has grown stronger in the game. As the U.S. men's national team has gotten better, as MLS has gotten stronger and bigger, there's the rivalry. So it's great to see that working together and the friendliness between the countries. I love that. That's great. But there's that and there is... You know, combining leagues. It shouldn't happen. Hopefully it never happens. Now back to MLS action over the weekend. I won't get into all the games, obviously, but just some of the just to touch on some of the key results from the weekend. You had Atlanta win in DC. Big win. Rob Valentino gets the W in his last match as interim coach before Gonzalo Pineda takes over. And how about a round of applause for Rob Valentino and the job that he did taking over for Gabriel Heinze. We know the mess that he took over. And for him to be able to kind of organize things, get the team believing again, getting the team into a good rhythm before Pineda takes over. I mean, a Valen- I mean, Rob Valentino deserves huge credit for that. And I have to think he impressed some people. And hopefully, for his sake, that leads to job opportunities down the road. He's obviously going to stick around Atlanta uh, the rest of this year, but... As much as it was a brief sample size, I think Valentino made, you know, he he definitely earned, he definitely uh, put a feather in his cap showing that, look, you know what, I'm I'm, a, I'm someone to think about as a coach. So kudos to him and Atlanta, man. I, I will say this about Atlanta now. If Pineda's the coach that everyone thinks he can be, he has the talent here. Atlanta could absolutely be one of these teams that has the, the second half turnaround to an MLS Cup. And I know some people will say, that's crazy talk. But anyone who's been around MLS long enough and who's followed the league long enough knows we've seen this before. We've seen teams turn turn things around at midseason. Whether it's 2004 DC United, more recently there was the Seattle Sounders uh, when they fired Ziggy Schmidt. May he rest in peace. The Sounders, you know, they go on that run. They add Nicholas Lodero and then they win an MLS Cup. We've seen it happen. And if there's a team that, that, that could be that team that turn, that just clicks, turns it around, and ends up winning a title, it could be Atlanta. And I know there are a few teams that are turning things around and, and starting to hit a rhythm and starting to play much better than they played the, the first half of the season. But for me, only one of them is has the kind of DNA and, and has the pieces to win a title, and Atlanta is that team. They have the defensive pieces. If they hold on to Miles Robinson, if they hold on to George Bello, you have Brad Guzan in goal. You have the structure there to have a championship defense. And obviously with the attack starting to click, Joseph Martino starting to hit his str- Joseph Martinez starting to hit his stride, Barco showing more confidence, playing like the player they thought they were buying when they bought him. Araujo's arrived now. 
gives them another dangerous weapon. The dominoes are lining up. Atlanta's going to be a team nobody's going to want to face. If Pineda's the coach, we all think he, he can be. And the coach, so many have said he can be. If Pineda is that guy, Atlanta absolutely is going to be in the picture when you want to talk about the title. And of course, look, in the East, we know New England's the team to beat. You know you have a NYCFC looking really good. You have the Philadelphia Union, very good team. So there's some there's some powerhouses in the East, to be clear. But if there's a surprise, if there's a team that has the magical turnaround and does what we've seen several teams do in MLS before, it will be, in my money, my opinion, if I'm putting a little long-shot bet here, it will be Atlanta. Speaking of MLS Cup contenders, Seattle Sounders complete the three-game road trip winning sweep, beating the Columbus crew. And talk about a crazy ending. The game is 0-0 for 76 minutes. Then Bradley Wright Phillips scores a goal, comes off the bench. Crew are up 1-0. They're loving life. It's late. Maybe they'll finally get this W to end their recent losing ways. But no, the Sounders say not today. And Javier Arriaga scores the equalizer. Will Bruin scores the winner. And the Seattle make it three straight wins on the road. Talk about a hell of a road trip. Three games on the road. Three games in, what, eight days? And they win all three. And they're looking very much like the the team to beat in the West. Obviously, Sporting KC. You know, no disrespect to Sporting KC because I know, uh, I know Peter Vermees was was out here talking about the the respect that that his team doesn't get, and I agree on some you know in certain certain aspects of that for sure. But right now, you have two teams: you have Sporting Kansas City and you have Seattle Sounders that are the class of the West right now. You have other teams that have potential, the Galaxy, maybe Minnesota, Colorado's starting to heat up, but Seattle, they have that championship look about them. And and that three wins in a row on the road, that's the look of a team ready to make a title run. So we'll see. Another team getting hot, Inter-Miami, beating up a team that's as cold as it is, as there is any in MLS, and that's Toronto FC. I don't know what is going on. Toronto FC is such a mess. It's crazy. It's like you keep waiting for them to wake up. You keep waiting for them to turn it around. You keep waiting for that talent to click, and it's just not clicking. And first, as far as Miami goes, you love to see them starting to kind of hit their stride and actually be a threat and actually be a team that now you have to worry about. You have to worry about going down to Fort Lauderdale and beating them. You have to worry about them coming to town. Rodolfo Pizarro looking like he's having fun. There was a point when I thought Pizarro's out of here. Pizarro is not going to be long for this place. But he's looking. He, look, he looks like he's enjoying his soccer. He's look. He looks like he's he's feeling at home. And now we're seeing the quality that you expected when he first arrived. Because look, Pizarro is a class player, and now Miami fans are seeing that class. TFC, on the other hand. The more you watch them, the more you say to yourself, it it might be time. It might be time to blow that team up. And I got to say, it is interesting. It it makes it more and more interesting. The timing of Greg Vanny leaving. Greg Vanny is a smart guy. One of the smartest coaches you'll ever meet in MLS. And I have a feeling maybe he saw the writing on the wall. Maybe he saw a team... That, you know, he maybe he saw the fault lines. Maybe he saw the, you know, the, the potential for this kind of step back. 
as much as yes, you can also put it on the fact that he left and he's a great coach, one of the best coaches in MLS. He leaves. That's that's a big loss. I get that. But I can't help but wonder, and only Vanny knows, I can't help but wonder if he was looking at things and saying, you know what? I don't know. Does this team have a future? Is this the DNA of this group like built to succeed long term? And as we go by week to week, this TFC team is just a mess. It is just a mess. So it might just have to be this offseason that, you know, whether it's Ali Curtis or whoever's making the decisions in Toronto come the winter, they're going to need to, there's going to be some wholesale changes. Josie Altsudor, I think, is days, you know, I think he's done at the end of this year, at least in Toronto. Who knows where he goes? Michael Bradley, what's his future? Does he stay in Toronto? Do you rebuild that defense? There's a lot of questions in Toronto. A lot of questions. Uh, some of the other results. Colorado beating RSL. Kellen Acosta returns to action. And I know some U.S. fans were starting to get nervous with him missing more and more games. What's going on? Where is he? You need him for World Cup qualifying. He was back in the lineup. The Rapids win again. Two-win week for the Rapids. They're rolling. Robin Frazier's, Robin Frazier has his team playing well. And I, I give him even more credit because we're talking about a Colorado team that doesn't spend much money. They don't have these multi-million dollar transfers. They don't. They have a lot of young players. They have players they've brought in from around the league. Mark Anthony Kay, by the way, looking really good in Colorado. So the Rapids, man. And Robin, you know, you want to talk about Coach of the Year candidates. I mean, I know, look, Bruce Arena with New England, what he's doing is unbelievable. Supporting Kansas City, obviously. You know, Vermees has got them playing so well. But Robin Frazier deserves some credit. And he deserves some consideration for Coach of the Year. I mean, here we are at the unofficial midway point of the season usually the all-star game you can say is the midway point of the season even though mathematically it's a little past it but you can argue robin frazier could you know he should get some votes for coach of the year if you're voting right now so uh i'm curious to see how they do going forward how these players continue to develop and uh they're gonna be a handful i think come playoff time especially if they can keep what they have together i mean obviously sam vines left but if, if Cole Bassett can stick around, if Calvin Costa sticks around, they've got they're gonna be they're gonna be some a lot to deal with, I think, come to playoffs. And uh it was rivalry week, uh and the most disappointing aspect of rivalry week in MLS is that Red Bulls NYCFC was postponed. Whether obviously there was a big storm in the area, they wait, they waited more than two hours to play this game at Red Bull Arena. They waited out the storm. And what happens? The field gets waterlogged, so they couldn't play. So you had fans that sat in that stadium for multiple hours, only to be told, guess what? Nah, no game today. So that that was, uh, you got to think that could have been handled a little better. It was definitely disappointing. And uh, hopefully, I, didn't, I haven't seen when that match would be rescheduled, but I want to see those teams play. I thought I, I, I was fully convinced NYCFC was going to go in there and beat up Red Bulls. Uh, and now we're going to have to wait a while to see if that's actually what will happen. And uh, I think that wraps it up. I think we've covered everything there is to, to get to. Uh, obviously, the ch- as, you know, as I said before, the Champions League draw is at the end of the week. And we will find out who teams will be uh, going up against. And, and can we see some matchups, American versus American? I just think from a... From a mathematics standpoint, you're going to see that. You're going to see, you know, could we see Serginio Dest against Christian Pulisic again? Could, you know, can we see uh, Tyler Adams uh, against Pulisic or, you know, any any number of, of combinations? Oh, and Otis Zoe, 
against Tyler Adams. You know, it, it, there's so many combinations that, that hopefully you could see. Uh, so looking forward to that for sure. And uh, I think that's it. So obviously next episode when we come back, which will be Friday or Saturday, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to commit to Friday, but hopefully Friday, if not Friday, definitely Saturday morning. We'll obviously be talking U.S. men's national team roster. Uh, we'll talk the MLS weekend ahead. And I, and I also give you my MLS midseason awards picks. I was going to do it this episode. I'll save it for next episode. And obviously we'll have our picks and predictions. And uh, hopefully you've been making some money uh, going with, with our, you know, the predictions, the MLS predictions. I, I'm doing pretty well, I think. I think I've been doing all right. So we'll see. Uh, but that's all for now. Um, can't, uh, see you all this weekend or talk to you all this weekend. Again, as always, if you have any questions, any feedback, uh, anything, anything you want to you know, share, give me your opinion on this combined Liga Mekis MLS thing. Leave a comment at uh, SBI Soccer. Shoot me a message on Twitter. I want to hear. I want to hear from fans about this because I, I just think it's a crazy idea and I can't imagine that many fans are, are on board with it, but maybe I'm wrong. But that's it. That's all for now. I'm Ivis Galarsa. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>